Hello, Goslings, and welcome to our first mailbag episode of The Smug Buds. This is an off-season episode is what we're deciding. Uh, we're deciding that the seasons have their own little trajectories, and this is a different trajectory. But it, we're going to be responding to some of the comments that you sent us, uh, you know, via email, via text message, um, for the past season. Hi, Will. Hi, Liz. Hey, does it sound like maybe a little bit different in your ears right now? Why is that, Will? Because we are sitting right next to each other, <laughs> live from the downtown Hilton in Portland, Oregon. It's the Smug Buds Mailbag Special, number one. At the AWP 19 conference. Woo! Hooray! <sighs> I don't know what that one was. Calm, was calm a, down, everybody. The, Jesus. Was, the Muppets in the audience I were really appreciate overwhelmed. appreciate your enthusiasm, but that's, that's a little much. How's your conference been so far, Will? Better it's, than mine. <laughs> uh, yeah, better than yours. It's uh, it's still day one, but it is the mid to late afternoon, and it's going well so far. I have uh, gone to exactly one panel. I as well have gone to one panel. Which, I mean, is there another word for it when uh, it's a panel that is, you know, it's in one of the ballrooms, it's got way more seating, it's... it's no, I think it's just a panel that they know is going to have more people at it. Yeah, it was it was part reading, part panel. There are fe- so there are um, at AWP there are featured speakers, mm-hmm. um, but those events are usually at night or almost always at night. I think right. Yes. So, so this, I'm assuming that's not what this was. This yes, this was a a, a very uh, popular populous uh, panel, and uh, AWP for our uh, listeners, our Goslings who don't know. Uh, which is almost exactly no one, but uh, <laughs> for the fun of, you know, keeping up the pretense, uh, AWP stands for what? The asso- you don't know? I do know, but I want you to say the it. Association of, uh, the Association for Writers and Writing Programs. I used to say mm-hmm. of writers and writing. Oh, wait, shit. Which one is it? <laughs> one second. I'm going to check. Liz is uh, getting up and uh, checking some print materials. Uh, I uh, only bring up the issue of what it stands for because uh there's only one w in awp well and i i can tell you the history of that in a second can you explain yeah. why i should know what this is specifically uh because uh liz's husband kenny uh works for awp <laughs> so uh short of kenny himself liz more than anyone uh ought to know what this uh stands for and I think I know the history, and I think that uh, it was once just the Association of Writing Programs. You are correct. And then they added the writers and uh, later, and uh, never changed the... Uh, it's not an acronym, because I think it's only an acronym if it makes a word. Like, if we said OP, for mm-hmm. example, instead of AWP, then it would truly be an acronym. Yeah, I think um, there is something about this. Because I've looked this up and argued this with my co-editor at work a few mm-hmm. times. I'm not sure if – I don't think – I think you have it backwards. I think there's another word. I think acronym does mean – Initials. Initials. I think that when it turns into a word, there's another word for that. But those are not acronyms. Huh. Um, like uh, – uh, oh, I can't think of an example of one. Um, but yes. Aces? Aces, for example. We used to be the – which is another – conference a copy editing conference used to be like the association of copy but it's or like the associ- the american copy editing society they've since changed mm, it the society <laughs> mm. copy editors um 
But yeah, we've argued, uh, uh, my co-editor and I have argued about this. But yes, what happened was, is um, originally it was very, and it still is, but, you know, part of what, um, you know, they're, at least Kenny is trying to do with the work that he does in the membership department is get away from this, or, or not get away from this, but balance this more, mm-hmm. which is that, you know, really this uh, organization used to be based in academia. And mm-hmm. there is a base of writers outside of academia. And um, as we know, as we've talked about before, like in our Ruby Core episode, for example, yep. academia for a very long time has been a white, cis, hetero, uh, male dominated. And a lot of the people who are in those communities that aren't in academia uh, aren't those populations. Right. And so when they decided to include the writers in there, um, they were doing it in part to say, like, you know, we serve a population that isn't just an institutional membership. Mm-hmm. Um, and so that's that's what they did. It's a little bit like the Academy of Motion Pictures expanding the best picture category yeah. to uh, have more than five nominees. Yes. It's not that much like that, but <laughs> I thought of it, so I said But it. a cool callback to episode six. Thank you. Speaking <laughs> of which, you reminded me. Uh, you said this is an off-season episode, yes. and I just wanted to point out that part of what that means is that this is not episode 11. Yes. It's a numberless episode. Well, it's like mailbag one. Ex- well, yes, that's right. But it, 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 yes, I was going to say, and maybe this is not true when you consider that, <laughs> but I was going to say if this episode had a number, yeah. that number would be 10.5. Yes. But yes. it doesn't have a number. Yes, it doesn't really have a number. Except there may be other mailbags, in which case... It would be mailbag one. Yeah. And one is a number. Yes. It's the loneliest number. That I've ever as known. As we've heard. Ever heard? In song. Ever. What is it? One is the loneliest number that, that you've ever known. You'll ever know? <laughs> it's, it's the only lonely number you've ever known. <laughs> um, and that's a joke just for the people who uh, lived in the writer's house and played catchphrase with us. Yes. Uh, with shout us, out to we all were us. That you'll ever do. We're all wrong. What? One is the loneliest number that you'll ever do. How do you do a number? I don't get that. I don't know, man. Get it in there. I don't. I, I it's don't. It's phallic. I, what up? Mm. <laughs> Moving on. <laughs> I think. Um, how's, you asked me how my conference was going. Very generous of you. I, I should uh, reciprocate. How, how's your conference going? I mean, I'm here. That's the good part. That I, good. Yeah. I, um, I, I sort of have a history. My, my coworker said to me on Monday, don't you always get sick at this conference? And I'm like, usually after. And then I was mm-hmm. like, oh, actually, not always. So my first AWP was in 2009, and I... Uh, well, Happy 10-year anniversary. Yes, thank you. It, it's sort of, it's my 10th year of AWP, but not my 10th AWP, because I missed one. I missed Seattle in 2014. This is the year I got married. If we did not have the money for it, I was in grad school still. Um, but, yes, thank you. It's mm-hmm. been 10 years of me being uh, involved in this conference, if you include Kenny working there in 2014 as being involved. Yep. And so, um, the first year I went, I... Was very sick the whole time. Sal Payne, who I think um, we brought up, we brought up in our uh, our live stream that we did of the witness. Uh, mm-hmm. gave, I remember him very generously giving me a pink lemonade cough drop in a reading where I could mm-hmm. not stop coughing. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking a few things. One, I had never seen and have not since seen pink lemonade cough drops. Oh yeah, 
It was delicious. Mm. Um, I remember, too, thinking, this person doesn't know me. I later introduced him to his wife. Uh, and, well, anyway, and here he is, without even nary a thought, giving mm. me his supplies. And wow. it felt like the kindest thing, because I was starting to panic. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, th- so, yes, I was very sick that whole time. Um, we drove to Chicago um, from Seelands Grove. That was the year that I was abroad. No. Oh, that's that's right. That was D.C. Yes. But right. also, Chicago, it was at Chicago twice. So this is Chicago oh. 09. It was Chicago 09, Denver 10, D.C. 11, Chicago 12, Boston 13, uh, Seattle 14, uh, Minneapolis 15. Show off. L.A. 16, Tampa, or no, um... DC, 17, Tampa, 18. Okay, so just to put this in New York, 08. context of my life, <laughs> the first one that I went to was in Chicago. That was my senior year. Yes. The first one that you went to was where and when? Chicago, my sophomore year. So it was in Chicago twice within three yes, years. Yes, it was a weird thing. And okay. the second time that they were in Chicago was the only time that they've sold out. Because basically they realized that their membership, this is your inside knowledge about AWP, guys. Basically they realized, I don't think this is a secret though. They realized <laughs> that their um, attendance ship, rather, was going up. And so they sort of had to shift from their old model, which was being in like a hotel with a large conference mm-hmm. system. And, and, and in Chicago it was actually in two hotels. It was in the Hilton and in the Palmer. Right. To being in um, a large convention center, which is what mm-hmm. it's been in since. But the second Chicago was a weird year. I don't know why it was in Chicago so quickly after one another, but I do know that they actually sold out that year, mm-hmm. which has never happened since. Right. And um, when they sold, and and because of this, it was packed because mm-hmm. like the book fair was in like four different rooms. Oh yeah, uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah, instead of one big exhibition hall. I sort of remember that. So you you've got me thinking about capacity mm-hmm. uh, at these conferences. So uh, as someone who has uh, very close direct ties to the AWP organization, do you have a comment that you would like to make on the record about the line that I waited in this morning? Yes, it's not. <laughs> don't. It's not AWP's fault. Do mm. not hate AWP. No, I I, I don't. I, I so I can't say. I cannot say. That I know the full story yet because I have not yet touched base with Kenny. And you are under oath. And I am under oath. However, I will say that um, in the past, they used to pre-print their badges. I remember. Um, This was really expensive Mm -hmm. and not um, very efficient because if you have, again, the the intendantship was going up and up. So I think there are, I don't know how many people are going to be here this year, but I think it's a number between eleven and thirteen thousand, maybe more. Mm-hmm. I don't think it's under eleven thousand at all. Okay. Okay. So printing out eleven thousand badges ahead of time, mm-hmm. um, and then organizing them. Yep. Alph- al- alphabetically. Alphabetically is a nightmare. Mm-hmm. Um, so what they shifted to in Seattle, which was Kenny's first year, was working the conference was um, having computers set up mm-hmm. with printers. Yep. But of course, they rent these computers and printers. Sure. Because um, uh, they aren't going to have computers that they have in storage, you know, at in Maryland or, you know, wherever their yeah. office is. 
just waiting for the one time a year that they use them for three it's days. It's more efficient to rent them than to store and transport them each time you need them. Yes. and But that also means that, um, you know, technology is difficult. Yep. And so even though they get here on Tuesday and they set them up and then Wednesday they set them up more mm-hmm. um, and they have tech people there, uh, sometimes it just doesn't work out. There was one year, and they fixed this before the conference, that the internet was running at dial-up speeds. Yes. Um like 56 kilobytes Mm -hmm. and uh it was taking like 10 minutes to send a badge Mm -hmm. to the printer Uh, the badge being literally like you know your name Mm -hmm. is what's printing yeah so i'm so sorry about the line that you stood in as non-representative of awp but i will say please don't be mean to the awp staff they really have very little control over many of the things that people complain about oh and i would never uh you're not gonna try to like beat the shit out of kenny later I, I uh, if I if I want to die, which I, sometimes I do, sure, but uh, not not today. Um, I, I I was I was not happy to wait in that line, but I was I I, I was fine. It was I want to say it was very courteous of AWP to uh, schedule. Uh, nothing I was interested in uh, <laughs> all of Thursday morning. Right. Uh, and, and so uh, I had nowhere I needed to be right. or even wanted to be yes. while I waited in that line for mm, 45 to maybe 60 minutes. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, Kenny texted me and just said, it has not been a good day. And I was like, I'm so sorry. I saw Kenny. You did? Mm-hmm. Did you hug him joyously? Uh, no, I was in line and oh. I wasn't going to give up my and spot. Him, yeah. <laughs> and I wasn't going to bother him either um i did uh, i had a moment of uh, line policing oh yes i heard you said that you stopped somebody from cutting yeah that's right yeah somebody tried to uh and what's the word line. that we're not using uh eastern medicine <laughs> <laughs> that's a uh call forward to mm. something we'll be talking about later mm-hmm. no i'm glad that you said cut instead of um G-Y-P, which is oh. a pejorative for uh, the Roma yeah. people, right? Um, which I only bring up because a lot of people don't know. Like, I didn't know how that word was spelled as a child. So uh-huh. even if I had, even if I had, I couldn't, so I could not have even extrapolated that information of my own. Sure. Um, and it wasn't until I was in in college. And even when I was in at work recently, I brought this up and... Um, Every single person had never heard of this. So, yes, cut in line. Great. Yes. I am familiar with uh, that word and why I wouldn't use it. I wouldn't even think to use it in a cutting in line context. Oh, this is how this is exclusively how we used it in elementary school. Interesting. The only context in which I have been trained to use that Mm -hmm. word is... um, getting ripped off in, yeah. say, like a uh, monetary transaction. Yes, exactly. And that is um, clearly the um, most offensive. Yes. <laughs> and and where the root of that lies. But right. yes, when I was in elementary school um, and you were standing in a line and somebody cut in front of you for the water fountain, perhaps, that mm-hmm. is uh, the word you would say. Yeah. Uh, I wonder how local or regional that is because I don't... <gasps> Think well, I've heard that meaning of it. And so the other thing that's that's to be said about this here is that part of the reason a lot of people in America don't realize that this word is offensive, and I'm not sure how it's gotten into our lexicon, is because mm-hmm. there aren't, as far as I know, very many Roma people mm-hmm. in America. Right. Um, 
I'm, which is not to say that there are any, but I don't know of any communities, you know, like mm-hmm. I know that Minneapolis, for example, has a, a Hmong community that's very large. And so, mm-hmm. you know, there's going to be a lot of that culture there. Uh-huh. I don't know of anywhere where there's a community of uh, the Roma people. Yeah. Um, so maybe it exists. So but I haven't heard of it. Yeah. Um, but yeah. So how did they, how'd you stop them? Uh, I, what did I, how did I start? Uh, did they just, Oh, Oh, I said, I said, so this guy just like appeared, (laughs) um, sort of in front of me and sort of next to me at the same time. Uh And he was like doing biz. He had business Mm. like the way in the way that like a, uh, uh, what, what's the right, a background actor in the way that a background actor has business. He, he had like a backpack that he was, he was like taking off his back and then putting on the floor and And then rummaging through. Mm -hmm. And he was, uh, uh, blending in by having business. Okay. And, uh, he was in front of me and then, uh, the line started to move forward, but he was still doing his business. So I moved forward. Right. Effectively me cutting him in line. Yes. Except for the fact that he had never been in uh, right. line to begin he did, with. So he did not protest yeah. me cutting in front of him. Mm-hmm. But then once he was done with his business, he sort of moved forward with the line behind me now. Oh. And so this is how I started. I turned around and I said, oh, are you signing in too? Uh, and he said, yeah, yeah. And I said, oh, I, I've been waiting in this line to sign in for like a really long time. And I don't recall seeing you here. <laughs> you said that? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I and, think I would have said, oh, um, yeah, the line is actually, like, ends way down there. Uh, we got there. <laughs> <laughs> uh, he said <coughs> something like, oh, uh, is... He said something like, oh, is this not where I should enter the line? He didn't phrase it like that. Yeah. Something like that. And, and I said, no, no, it's, it, this is not. And he said, oh, where's where's the line start? And I said, oh, you mean where does it end? It ends. And I pointed and I said, way up there. Because uh, we were in the lobby and the lobby was basically filled with the line. Yeah. And then continuing up a flight of stairs towards the entrance. Oh, God. So I was like, you can't see it from here, but uh-huh. it's up there somewhere. Yeah. And then he said, oh, okay, thanks. Sorry. And he went on his way and disappeared, presumably into to, to another portion cut. of yeah. the line. I wonder he... why he thought you were gullible, particularly. Um, I think maybe we were in conversation enough that he thought that we wouldn't notice him. Mm. Who knows? Who knows what was going what through fool. his mind? Well, I hope that whatever he needed to get done, he got done and didn't get fired or something. Mm. Would you like to? <laughs> Way to make me hypothetically seem like a villain. No, no, no. I'm trying to be empathetic. <laughs> I hope he didn't get fired. <laughs> well, you know, I hope he didn't die. Well, you know, he really was waiting in line to get his prescription somehow. <laughs> That's a different line. <laughs> um. So do you want to talk Should about? Should we some, get into the mailbag? Some mailbag. So we we've haven't we've gotten a we've only gotten one or I guess we've gotten three official mailbag emails, but we've gotten some other comments. Um, <clears throat> and the first one is from our friend Katie. Katie uh, 
has a podcast herself that just came out that I'm actually the first episode of. I'm on the first episode of, but it focuses on me. Mm -hmm. Um, It's called Just the Gist, Please. Uh, You can find it at justthegistplease.com. And uh, she listened to the first episode and loved it and said... uh, Our first episode. Yes, our first episode. And said in a text message to me, uh, by the way... Sometimes the amniotic sac doesn't break. Uh, this is in reference to our um, break, the breaking of my water in mm-hmm. the giving birth episode. And Will, I think Will's now remembering this text message which I sent to him because he's sure. getting his. I'm looking very uncomfortable and don't want to talk about this again. No, no, on. no. I'm. I'm... <laughs> Sometimes the amniotic sac doesn't break and the baby comes out and call. That's E N C A U L. This happened to my uh, friend Emily in Brazil. Um. And do you remember the picture I sent you of this, Will? I think I've blocked it out. Okay, well, we're going to look at it again. I remember a picture uh, existing. So basically what this means is that, here we go. Yeah. The whole baby is in this, like, sack, and the sack is actually clear, which is surprising. Clear uh-huh. enough. Yes. And it looks sort of like, um, like a little tadpole or like a little octopus that's, like, about to be born. That's putting it mildly. <laughs> I would say that it looks like a uh, something that uh, an HR Giger <laughs> would uh, come up with. So yeah, this does happen occasionally. Um, again, this might be one of the reasons that they um, want to break your water because this is like horrifying. Um, I mean, I think it looks really cool, but it's also I think it looks cool because it looks horrifying. Um, yeah, I think the xenomorph looks cool too. <laughs> um, so that's our first little tip. If you want to look at something uh, terrible, and, and may I just uh, butt in here to say, um, Liz is really going to uh, be the one digging into the mailbag more than me, uh, and that's mostly by virtue of the fact that. Uh, You've gotten most of the responses. Oh, well. And, and, and that is okay. <laughs> uh, I am not complaining. I am just stating a fact that I've observed uh-huh. that uh, the only person who texts me about our podcast is you. No! <laughs> Doesn't Dana say things to you? Uh, sure, in person, yeah. Yeah. You don't, um, like, jot them down? Mm, I guess I haven't. Well, uh, And also, that. in fairness, I... Uh, Maybe uh, my mother or my father has texted me about it. Oh, I yes. know we've spoken. Of, I, I know for certain we've spoken about it on the phone. Yes, that's true. There may have been a text message and or an email that had mm-hmm. to do with the podcast as well. Did they, did they listen to any other episodes except the first one? Uh, I know they were watching our live stream. Oh, wow. Yep. <laughs> Super. Mm-hmm. Hi, uh, Mr. and Mrs. Hoffacker, assuming that your mother took your father's last name? Yes, you okay. assume correctly. She did. Hello, how are you guys? I'm sorry I swear so much. I know you don't like it. <laughs> Actually, okay. I'm not sorry, but yeah. I'm sorry that it makes you uncomfortable. Let's dip into the mailbag. <laughs> Here's my contribution to the mailbag. After we released our first episode, uh, one of my parents spoke to me on the phone and said... Uh, podcast uh sounds very good which you which you took to mean like the quality of the sound right probably (laughs) knowing me yeah uh and they said uh one note uh if you want everyone to enjoy it uh don't use bad words 
And I said, oh, okay, thanks. Yeah, I'll, I'll remember that. I don't care <laughs> who enjoys it or not. Because I, if I haven't made this clear on mic before, like, I wanted to do this because I thought it would be fun. Yeah. And uh, I don't care how many people listen. I don't care who listens. Mm-hmm. Just as long as we're enjoying doing it. Mm-hmm. That's my priority. My response to that was, well, I don't think you swore in that episode. And then my second mm-hmm. response was, in fact, I think one of the only times I swore was when I was talking about being in the extreme pain of labor, which seemed like a weird place to be critical. Mm, well, yeah, I, I wouldn't frame <laughs> it Love as, you, Mr. and Mrs. Hoffacker. I, yeah, yeah, I wouldn't frame it as critical. <laughs> Fine. Notes, yeah. Notes are not necessarily, not necessarily critical. So we'll, Just feedback. So, well, this one is, um, I'm going to actually let you take this one. All right. Uh, because you were the one that seemed to have a problem, not a problem, but you had questions about this in the birth episode. Interesting. Uh, Kim, our uh, listener, wrote <laughs> us in and said, How did you all not bring up in the Smug Buds how cutting the cord is, like, too reminiscent of cutting the ribbon at, at a op- building opening? How could you think of anything else but that comparison? Like, the partner shows up and, like, okay, it's open. Congrats. <laughs> All right, I couldn't listen to any of that because <laughs> you read that and you said in the smug buds. Yeah. And I'm looking at it over your shoulder and Kim wrote in smug buds. Well, you know, I'm allowed to make style guide edits to our contributors' comments. Oh, I think that that's unethical. <laughs> <laughs> it's a style guide edit. It's not a um it's not a material change. I think that there should be a consent form for that, <laughs> okay. and no one has it, uh, Sorry. filled it out or Let me reread it. this. Mm. How did you not all, how did you all not bring up in sick, su- smug buds, how cutting the cord... I think that cord... sick was a little early. <laughs> oh, does it come after? I think so. Oh, okay. How did you all not bring up in smug buds, sick, sick. how cutting the cord is like too reminiscent of cutting the ribbon at a building opening? How could you think <laughs> of anything else but that comparison? <laughs> Like, the partner shows up and is like, okay, it's open, congrats. A building opening. <laughs> what did I say? No, no, you you said, you said that because Kim wrote that. Oh. I, just, I just think that that's a little funny. <laughs> to, to, I mean, yes, uh, yeah, of course. Uh, a a ribbon-cutting ceremony uh, might be, first and foremost, for a building opening. <laughs> Not a but, child opening. But there's also, I mean, there's also, like... Bridge, bridges, like there, oh, there yeah, are yeah, things yeah. besides buildings. I think if that I were, get ribbon cutting ceremonies. If I were Kim, the only ribbon cutting ceremony I've ever been to was the Writers Institute. No, <laughs> a mall. What ribbon cutting ceremonies have you been to? I don't know. I picture a mall. <laughs> no, the um the Writers Institute at Susquehanna had a ribbon cutting ceremony. Did did uh, was was it? Uh, I, I was there. I'm sure. I think you were. Yeah, unless I, it was when you were gone. But no, I think it was in the fall. I'm pretty sure I was there. I'm pretty sure I remember uh, Dr. Fink uh, speaking. He did. He I was like, "Yeah, I can't believe this actually happened." When I started this this program, you know, ten years ago, I just thought ten years ago it was in like 2011. Yeah, it was in the fall of 2011. But that it was only ten years from the program to the institute so the first um to the building yes um the first class so there's the first class is sort of a wimble 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 because the first people who were allowed to take the major 
was the um, 2000-2001 class, and Gary considers them collectively oh, right, as the right, first okay, class. Okay, yeah, 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 the major, the major. Right. Um, right. And so there had been literary magazines on campus before that. Gary had been teaching there for much longer, but that's what I. That's what. That's why I balked at it. Yes, was sorry. Because when I think of when I, when <clears throat> I'm re, you know recreating this, you're thinking in of my Gary. Memory, Gary Fink talking like, about it from. I've been here for forty years or whatever, <laughs> and 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 it, 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 what a long, strange trip it's been. Uh, so when you said 10 years ago, I was like, yeah, I balked at that. Yeah. Um, I think, uh, but yeah, it was about, it was about 10 years when. The, the ribbon cutting. Yes. I'm not vividly remembering. I have pictures of it. Okay. Who had their hands on the scissors? Um, Carla, Kelsey, uh, uh, Catherine Dent, Silas, Zobel Dent, um, or Silas Dent Zobel, um, uh, Tom. Rest in peace from that program. Uh, <laughs> Joe Scaps, our dear and beloved Joe Scapolato. It's nice that he got to be a part of that. Yes, yes. I mean, he is, yeah, he's beloved by all. As he um, should be. Yes. And I believe uh, at the end, uh, Emerson, mm-hmm. uh, the child of uh, Catherine and Silas, uh, picked up the ribbons because he did not want us to be littering. Oh, yeah, sure. And this it was is, great. Yeah, this is all ringing some bells for me. I actually took a video of Gary giving the speech that he gave, and I'll post that on in the YouTube? show notes. It's on YouTube. Yeah, yeah, I thought you put it on YouTube. Um, I thought Gary would want that, and he was very grateful for it. Oh, that's nice. Yeah. How nice for you so, yes. and Gary. How did we not think of that? I don't know, Kim. <laughs> yeah, I mean, the same way that I don't think of very many of the things that Kim thinks of. <laughs> Just, just by being Virtue myself. Of, yeah. <laughs> um, this is a short note from Sarah. We'll get to a longer note from Sarah later, but uh, she says, I finally finished the podcast, mm-hmm. meaning the first episode. Oh, yeah. uh, there are 19 seasons of Law & Order SVU. Mm-hmm. And uh, Will did respond to this already and say, thank you. I think the story we were discussing, uh, the one from Carmen Maria uh, Machado's. I learned it's Machado, by the way. Thank you. Uh, I saw her uh, speak uh, in D.C. a couple of weeks ago. Um, covered 16 is yeah. about what Will guesses. Great. Yeah, I think the to date, probably, when that was written, there were not yet yes. 19 seasons, but yeah. currently. Yeah, and she, I wonder if she's ever going to add an addendum. I, I would gobble it up. Yeah. I think, let me look this up. I think it was Lynn Haginian who... Um, the Beginner Herself. Yes. Oh, you did read that book. I wrote about it. Right, you did in that, that class we had together. Contemporary Poetry, a class that I took because I could not get into... Uh, I think it was the grammar class that I couldn't get oh, into. yeah. I can't remember if she wrote this book or if it was someone else, but I think it was her that wrote a book called was it just my life it might have been my life my life (laughs) and um it it had if i'm remembering correctly it had something like 31 um poems in it and then she republished it later because she was 31 when she got it published Ah. and then she republished it later with more poems when she was older (laughs) not like every year but Um, which I thought was really beautiful. But I could be completely confusing that with a different book. But I think that's that book. Um, I like works that evolve in that way. 
And I think that uh, Machado's SVU story should do the same. I think so, too. Hear that, Carmen? Get on it! Uh, Okay, so. This is from my friend uh, Mel, uh, Melinda. Um, She listened to the pregnancy episode and had some uh, good facts for us. Good facts. She said, I love you and your friend's discourse, heart, heart. And I love pregnancy and birth so much. This had me all geeked out. Birth stories are my favorite thing. It's so cool how varied experiences are, and also the commonalities. The secret cracked me up. Uh, she's referring to, do you remember what the secret is? Uh, I, no. The pushing muscles are the uh, pooping muscles. Yes, right. Uh, she said, my favorite thing to tell women who is who are preparing for birth is, one, you're going to poop. Two, you can plan some cute things to wear while in labor, but you're probably going to end up being naked, and if not, you'll likely get all kinds of bodily fluid over that clothing that you like uh, that you like so much, the clothing that right. is not the bodily fluid. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, three And three, you can walk and bounce all you want, but you aren't going to make labor happen by doing so. This was mm-hmm. part of what we were talking about with um, people eat like pineapple or spicy foods uh. or... Um, and then she does say, the only two quote-unquote natural induction methods that have the tiniest bit of science behind them is uh, orgasm and nipple st- simulation. Stim- I think she meant stimulation. <laughs> I think she meant stimulation. Uh, you just like, you just simulate a nipple. Yeah, that's what I have the PlayStation VR headset for. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, for the release of oxytocin, which is, um, as we know, oxytocin is what um, gives you contractions, pitocin being the the uh, synthetic version of that. As we know. <clears throat> and having sex because semen contains uh, prostaglandins that ripen the cervix. As remember, my favorite word. <laughs> I hate that. Ripen the cervix. I don't love it either. And also, it makes me think of, it doesn't make me think of like a fruit ripening. It makes me think of like a mother walking into her teenage boy's room and saying, it smells ripe in here. Uh-huh. Terrible. Not good. <laughs> so yes. Also, and I this is me just totally like making this up about the natural induction methods things too, but the have sex one is one that I've heard a lot. Yep. And um I think the oxytocin is I mean that makes sense to me. The other thing that I would say is that I feel like women get so tense that sometimes if they have sex or if they're finally just like, I guess we're just going to have sex, like they just finally loosen up and then their body sort of like mm. lets the process start happening. Um, You're talking about a placebo effect. Yes. Yes. Um, they mentally <clears throat> open themselves up to the idea and that's really what has the effect rather yes. than yes. Um, the thing that... <clears throat> triggered it yes or, or you know a little bit of a combination of both right so if, yeah. if you are physically enjoying yourself mm-hmm. you might feel better yep. um i mean something that i feel like people also in terms of sicknesses is that i feel like you know people talk about um and this is not being pregnant is not an illness mm. um necessarily but uh like with what's it called when you have symptoms but they're in your brain quote unquote uh being a hypochondriac no like um munchausen's <laughs> no psych- psychosomatic okay um and i th- i think my my answers were good too i did not say they were bad they were just <laughs> not the word i was looking for um and i think that 
something that we need to realize that I think people are starting to finally realize is that oftentimes our the things that we're feeling are very, very real. If you have a migraine, that's very real. If your stomach is all screwed up, that's very real. If your back is all, like, tense, that's very real. Mm-hmm. Um, and you might need to treat those symptoms. Mm-hmm. But those symptoms might be coming from you being stressed out. <laughs> right. And because stress releases real chemicals into your body that fucks mm-hmm. up your body. So, like... Right. Um, this is this is what I mean when I say like, I think that having sex might have a sort of double edged sword effect. Mm-hmm. Um, that said, I never in my life could have had sex at that point in my pregnancy. Uh, I was so uncomfortable. There was no position that that would have worked in that I would have felt like I was not falling apart. Um, so good to you, people who can have sex moments before giving birth. Good to you. <laughs> uh, I brought up the placebo effect. I uh, had kind of an ulterior motive because in our amber teething necklaces episode, yes, we mm. talked about the placebo effect. Yes, we did. The conversation never went in a direction that I wanted it to go in. Oh, <laughs> which was, are you familiar with the nocebo effect? No, no, that's not real, Will. It's real. No. Uh the nocebo effect. Oh God! Which is <laughs> makes me laugh because it's a dumb word. Uh-huh. I mean, all words are made up, right? <laughs> but some words are made up <laughs> like a little bit in, more intentionally than others, yeah, in, in a little more of like a slipshod <clears throat> way. Mm-hmm. So the nocebo. I've heard of the nocebo effect because I. I read it in an article that was about... This was a long time ago. Yeah. I I am barely remembering something that I probably half read yeah. some years ago. Mm-hmm. But it was about a community of people who lived mm-hmm. near a new wind farm. And they were suffering uh-huh. some physical maladies. Yes. And they were... Blaming the windmills. It was never suggested to them that the windmills would have negative consequences on their bodies Uh or their minds. Yeah. So you can't call it a placebo effect. Oh, I see. Yes. The nocebo effect is is when... (laughs) <laughs> you come up with an explanation mm-hmm. for what you're feeling, despite the fact that it w- no one ever suggested to you that, that, that was... this is the thing and That's it so will make you feel this way. Because a placebo, mm-hmm. as we know, is when I tell you, you take this, here's what you feel. Yes. And because I told you, right, which is what you'll, sh- you'll experience that feeling. Which is what happens with essential oils. That's And, and that's what makes it a placebo. Yes. But the, in the absence of suggestion, yeah. when you independently <laughs> make a connection between an outside stimulus and what you're experiencing, yeah. it's, it's, it's the nocebo effect. Oh my God. Okay, yeah, I love that. Um, and also I feel like, yeah, that, that, that comes up a lot, I think, because there's a lot of parents that are very worried about food dye and their children and, and mm. it causing like uh hyperactivity mm-hmm. and, um, there's, 
uh, as far I've looked this up before and I have not looked it up recently. So if somebody wants to send me some uh, empirically evidenced, empirical evidence based articles about this, I'd love to read them. I have not been able to find anything uh, of any empirical evidence that suggests that this is true. Mm-hmm. Only anecdotal evidence. Okay. Um, but yes, that seems to be a nocebo effect. My child yeah. is hyperactive. It must be because they're getting red dye number four. Yeah. If you heard that somewhere, uh-huh. then it may be a placebo. Yes. But if you never heard it and yeah. you come up with that yourself, you know, your own theory, yeah. then it might be a nocebo. Ugh. Um, okay, so on to the next one. I couldn't remember until just now where this one was from. This is from my brother, and this is in response to something I was talking about on the uh, games episode, our gaming episode, mm. our table, tabletop games episode. Mm-hmm. Um, <coughs> I was referencing um, how... When I was president of the gaming club, we uh, swindled the, I think I called it like the council, uh, (laughs) into giving us a budget for the gaming club that was far more than we needed and we bought something like $750 worth of board games. Yep. My brother messaged me and said, Liz, it's called the Student Government Association Mm -hmm. and B... I was in charge of giving money to people. My brother was, not at the time that we swindled them, but in later years, the treasurer. Yes. Um, I'm heartbroken that you called it, quote, the council, as if it were some medieval feudalism. We petitioned the guild. <laughs> we were, Club we were, finances. We were many years in debt uh, on our farm. Uh, so, yes, I said to him, oh, Blake, I'm so sorry. I'll make sure to correct this in the mailbag app, and that is what I am doing currently. Thank you, Student Government Association. And as soon as he said that, I was like, SGA, right, SGA. We mm-hmm. used to say this all the time. We had friends that were on SGA, perhaps president of SGA. Perhaps. Uh, it's not something I ever really thought about. Yeah, well, you weren't swindling them out of 750 bucks. No, yeah, I wasn't running. Well, I ran a club briefly, but I don't recall any... Uh, I was president of Literature Club. Oh, Lit Club. Right. I knew that. I was like, what club did you mm-hmm. run? Oh, Lit Club. Duh. Yikes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I didn't really think of that as a club. You want to talk about things that I am uh, still bitter about. <laughs> oh, being president of Lit Club? <laughs> uh, when uh, I was elected, uh-huh. uh, I was running for my junior year knowing that I was going to go abroad mm. uh, so that it would be a one semester position. Um it was still a tie. Oh, my God. <laughs> so it was me and Teresa. Right. Teresa Beck so Houston. while I was around, it was me, and then I went away, and it was Teresa. Yeah. And then uh, I ran, uh, I ran, quote, uh-huh. unquote, again uh-huh. to, for my senior year, mm-hmm. and I was elected vice president. <laughs> Even though you had already been president. Uh, so they were like, <gasps> yeah, one semester was enough. Oh, my God. They. They being, yeah, I can think of everybody in the club. Yeah. Like, our friends. Our friends. Our, like, dear, our dear, even the ones that we don't see that much anymore are, like, dear peers. And some other people. And some other people. Um, I One of my favorite pictures I ever took of you was from a Lit Club meeting. I was never officially a member of Lit Club because I just didn't oh, have the please. time for it. But I, <laughs> I mean, I was in Will's heart, We of didn't have a roster. <laughs> but I did come to a lot of your events, and I came mm-hmm. to your meetings sometimes. Yeah. Um, and one of the pictures, I took a picture of you sitting in a, in, um, that room in Cybert, that yep. like fancy room. Yeah. It was a faculty lounge, I think. Yes. And you were sitting in a, like a wingback chair, mm-hmm. I want to say, mm-hmm. and looking quite, uh, seductive 
And Ooh. I took the picture and then put it in vignette. <laughs> uh, I will also post this in the show notes. Thank you. Um, okay, so... What else we got? This is... So we're going to get into the Ruby Core episode. We have a long thing in the Ruby Core episode, but here's a short thing from Sarah. Before the third thing from Sarah. <clears throat> uh, she said that she uh, liked the episode, and then she said, I think one thing that I would have... That I would have added is that there are now studies showing poetry readership is up across the board, primarily driven by young people of color, and that core is or can be a gateway for some people into poetry, mm -hmm. which is absolutely true. And I was sort of trying to get into that, though I didn't say it explicitly when I was saying that, like, part of the reason I want to be familiar with core mm -hmm. um, is that if somebody says, comes to me, you know, I, mm -hmm. I, I'm not often in a position to be a mentor, but I leave that open, that position open that door open a lot. Okay. So if, you know, I'm, if I, uh, you know, I'm working with, for example, hi, Victoria, I'm working from, uh, with a student at Susquehanna right now. She's one of my interviewers for the collagist. Um, oh, yeah. and she's a, a sophomore and, okay. um, you know, I do, uh, I have to give her a little bit more feedback than I give you, for example, who's been doing this for many years. Mm -hmm. Um, and I'm willing to do that because I feel like I like mentoring and I mm -hmm. like being a steward for her. And um, if she comes to me and says, you know, Core's my favorite poet, I want to be able to speak to that. Uh -huh. And that, that was what I was getting at. And right. um, Sarah works at the University of Arizona Poetry Center, so she knows um, that these studies have been coming out about poetry readership being being up. So mm. she, she's got the goods, is my point. Yeah. Okay. Um, Will, do you want to read this? Because I've been talking a lot. Yeah, uh, I'd be happy to read this uh... Email. Uh, is this the only email that we received? Uh, well, we got one email in the contact, contact form, form, and uh, we got an email from Sarah. That's long, but that's just a cute little mm -hmm. thing. Okay. So should I say who this is from first? Yeah, you can say it's from James. I'm this, sorry, I just said it. This, uh, <laughs> this is from James D. In uh, where's James? Is she in Jersey. This is from James D. In New Jersey, who writes, "Dear Smug Buds, sick." Here's something for your mailbag. Maybe. No, no, no. If he's writing to us, it makes sense to say Smug Buds because he's not referring to the name of the podcast. He's referring to I'm gonna... your whole explanation <laughs> for why the name of the podcast has a the is that we're the Smug Buds. Yes. So yes, but if he's we're... addressing us, we're just like we're just if he's addressing us, dear. We he wouldn't say the Smug Buds. Like you wouldn't say dear the Hulk. You would just say dear Hulk. <laughs> you don't know what I would say. <laughs> To Bruce Banner. Dear Smug Buds, here's something for your mailbag, maybe. I enjoyed the episode, uh, and uh, this is about the Ruby Core episode, right? Mm -hmm. Although I felt like your very reasonable conclusions about genre and class and so on made the first half of the episode feel sort of unnecessary. Okay, James. Uh, anyway, here are... Will. So, well, <laughs> you asked me to read it. Uh, anyway, here are some things I thought while listening. Quote, you can't, you just can't work very long on a poem this short, unquote. In my experience, not true, especially if one tries seriously to write haiku. That is a hard form that can go through many drafts. Cutting in here to say that uh, what Ruby Core does ain't haiku, buddy. Uh, getting back into the Don't email. Don't be mean, Will. <laughs> I would never. I, I, I'm a nice man. Quote, it feels like there's nothing technical going on, unquote. This felt undercut, but your later comment, 
of Instagram poetry being its own form and genre whose conventions just might include shortness. That doesn't necessarily make the poems any better, but there are technical constraints being followed. Discussion of the illustrations separately from the words instead of in conversation with them. You discuss more than once the aesthetic value of the Instagram feed and illustrations, but in my opinion, discussing this separate from the words does the poems a disservice. For example, with the honeymoon, not a poem, you discuss the illustration, but then discount it when discussing the words. I also think, what do you do with that afterward? Nothing. Discounts the cultural context that young women writing and drawing publicly about this topic is still is kind of still a radical act in a country where some states still have laws against vibrators. As a Which result, is terrible, by the way. <laughs> as a result, some people from sheltered backgrounds might encounter the poem as one of their first experiences on sex positivity. I'm not sure a poem of any genre needs any more value or sophistication than that. Finally, and I hate to tell you this, I don't know if you do, James, <laughs> but I don't think Harry Potter is a widespread YA touchstone anymore. I could be wrong, but my experience of working with current young adults is that the HP movies are now before their time and not as interesting to them. Weird, but not altogether surprising. Time marches on. I continue to love how your voice sounds on a podcast, too. He said voice singular, so I think that's you, Liz. <laughs> you don't dip too often into vocal fry. <laughs> Jesus. Talk about your backhanded compliments. You don't dip too I, often uh, into vocal I'm going, fry. I'm going to address it, Will. I'm going to address it. But have a kind of naturally lower-pitched voice that is quite soothing. Anyway, that's my two cents. A little more than two cents which appropriately has very little buying power these days. I look forward to future episodes, and that, again, is from James D. in New Jersey. And I will say that James D.'s last name is not Dean, though I do know somebody, uh, tangentially, whose name is James Dean. Cool. Uh, though not spelled the same. Okay, so there's a lot here. Um, the first thing I want to say is that um, when when James says that he thinks that my very reasonable conclusions about genre and class made the first half of the episode sort of unnecessary, we could not have gotten to the second half of that podcast without the first half. Would uh -huh. you agree with me there? Yeah, I, I completely agree. Um, because I think, and I also want to say that for a lot of these things, I think part of what I'm arguing is that these things can exist at the same time as one another, which is to say, I can say that... Uh, the honeymoon poem is not a poem. Mm -hmm. And I can also say that it could still be important to somebody. Yep. Those, um, don't discount one another. Yep. Um, not a contradiction, but also, you know, part of one of the ways I've, I have addressed, I have approached this podcast, which I think is different than you will, which is not a, a problem. I'm not saying this is a problem. I'm just saying no, that I think we complement each other. Yeah. Is that I sort of take my episodes and I sort of try to build a bit of an argument. I have an mm -hmm. arc in my head, um, of the way I want to do it. And a lot of the topics I've been covering have more of an argumentative bent to them mm -hmm. than yours do. Yep. Um, my misheard episode being a bit of an exception, yep. though I still did have, I knew where I wanted to go with that. Yes. Yeah. You had a plan. You executed it. And so I don't think, I mean, I, there's no way that I could have just said, um, you know, re, re, people are critical of Rupi Kaur, but these are all the reasons why you shouldn't be, because I also don't think that's fair to a lot of people's ex experiences mm -hmm. with her. Um, haiku. Um, uh, <laughs> no, no, I'm trying to think. In, in its original language, um, I think haiku 
is a very different beast than in English. Mm-hmm. Because it's dealing with characters mm-hmm. that mean words, yep. not um, words that have syllables. Yep. And so I think that you're right in that sense, but I think that you're dealing with something that has a language that has significantly more complexity mm-hmm. um, than English. And um, I also am certain that people could work very hard on a haiku, but at some point, Joe, who I mentioned earlier, our friend Joe Scapolato, once said to me in an email, he was talking about a novel that he was working on, which I think he ended up scrapping eventually. And part of the reason he did this was he said to me, I haven't really been revising. I've been rewriting. Uh-huh. And this has really stuck with me because what he was saying was that sometimes when you're writing, you might write something and then you might rewrite it. And that doesn't mean it didn't come from a sort of starting point, but that's a different process than revising mm-hmm. where um, when you're rewriting, you're sort of making a new thing over and over again, even if you're picking up parts of the old thing. Mm-hmm. And I think this is my point with haiku is that when something is that short, eventually you're not revising, you're rewriting. Yep. Uh, because there's only so much you can swap out. Yeah. Just real quick before we move on from yes. haiku, where where he writes, in my experience, not true, especially if one tries seriously to write haiku. Uh-huh. Does Do you read that as implying that the author of this email has... Oh, I feel tried certain. I feel certain that James haiku. has written haiku, and okay. and I don't mean again. I also don't mean to downplay his experience. Um, I just think that um, the shorter something is, I, the less you can work on it. And I, and 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 you were talking about haiku in in the original language, which yes. is Japanese. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we just looked at each other with the same exact face. I'm almost certain it's Japanese, but I think we both are so concerned about Japanese. Yes, we're absolutely right. I think that we're, you know, Will and I, mm-hmm. I mean, sometimes we we are flippant and, you know, we try to keep things light, but, um, you know, we do want to make sure that we're as accurate as often as we can be. Because mm-hmm. if not, we're going to correct ourselves and that takes time. Yes. Um, it could take months. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so that, there's that. I just, I mean, what do you, I mean, how, you're a poet. Yes. You're wearing a sticker right now that says poet. I am. Declares yourself as a poet. Yes. Have you engaged seriously with writing haiku ever? So there's a form of haiku that has, I forget what it's called. Let me see if I can find it actually. Um, it might be called this. Let me see. Um, yes. There's a there's a form called high bun, um, which is prose and haiku and if i'm remembering correctly it's something like a haiku and then two two lines of prose and then haiku it sort of switched back and forth i have written those in classes um i have because not, you were assigned to well it was a forms class so okay. yes we were assigned to i have not of my own volition tried to write in this form um i'm not sure that my uh material the subject of my material lends itself to that form in a way that I would think would be interesting. Mm-hmm. Um, so no, I have, I, so, so have I written in these forms throughout my writing career? Yes, absolutely. Um, and can people look at them very seriously? Ab- absolutely. I think also people can look at them if you're looking at them, you know, much further out and looking at them also reading them in the original text and then looking at translations. You know, there's, I think that there's a lot that can be done, but I just think that, um, again, Core is not writing haiku, so she's not looking at yeah. something with a vast historical 
background that comes from a different language that has different conventions even in the language. Right. Um, she's dealing with something incredibly short that um, is just truly rooted in um, platitudes. Mm-hmm. This is sort of besides the point. Yeah. I'm just belaboring this issue because I'm thinking, knowing me in my skin yeah. as a white, straight, cis, male, mm-hmm. emphasis in this case on white, mm-hmm. I would not... Try to seriously write haiku. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, that's a fair point, too. Um, I mean, I think there's also something to be said for trying to seriously write haiku and being very interested in it um, for your own study. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think, again, I think that a lot of these things can be true at the same time. Sure. Um, in terms of the, there's nothing technical going on. I think that there isn't anything technical going on if we're looking at it in the form, in the genre of just, you know, straight poetry. And I think that looking at it as a different genre helps ease that. Right. Um, and the same is true of the illustration situation, which is that, um, I think that those are technical things, but I don't think that those are technical things related to the poem. Right. And, and here's, here's another point to all of this. Um, what makes a short film a short film and not a TV show, Will? Uh, according to the Academy and the Oscars, a short film needs to be under 40 minutes mm-hmm. in length. Okay. Full stop. Okay. Um, what makes um, a TV show um, that is a special that's two hours long, not a movie? Uh, whether or not it has a qualifying theatrical run. Okay. Whether it airs solely on television or these days maybe a streaming platform uh-huh. versus, uh, you know, being screened in movie theaters. Okay. So I bring up this up because if you're looking at um, video media, TV versus movies versus short films versus um, like long TV specials, you know what I mean? Like weird like things. All of these are filmed Mm-hmm. They have people, they have voices, and they have there are a certain length. Yep. And yet, um, we categorize them differently. Yep. And we view them differently. Mm-hmm. They they have different award shows. Yep. Those award shows, as we've discussed, are oftentimes incredibly flawed. But, um, sorry, there's like a crane suddenly moving out of my vision, and I just saw it. Bird uh, or mechanical? Mechanical. Okay. You can see it too. Look. No, I'm not going to turn around. Well, <laughs> well, it's gone now. You can't see it. It's behind the building. It was imaginary. And so my point is, is that, um, you know, if we just want to call everything poetry, what are we doing? Mm-hmm. Um, I'm not saying that there isn't something beautiful about that. So Kava Akbar actually had a tweet about this recently. Um, and I love Kava. Um, or Kava. Do you know how to say his name? I'm sorry, I don't. I'm so sorry. I love him. I have one of his, um, uh, uh, quotes from his, from the title poem in his book as my, one of the, um, the opening quotes of my manuscript, which I'm sending out right now. The book you're referring to is, uh, Calling a Wolf a Wolf? Yes. And that's the, that's actually the thing. So he tweeted this recently. He said, um, Mary Leader once told me a poem is a thing. And that's still my favorite definition, the narrowest definition I'm willing to accept. Anything else is needlessly excluding someone. If someone hands me a bag of dirt and tells me it's a poem, it gets to be a poem. It not might be a poem that satisfies me intellectually or brings me any delight. I may not want to spend much time with it, but it's a poem because a person who built it called it a poem. And so 
I appreciate this definition, and I appreciate that it doesn't exclude people. Yes. Fine. But I'm not sure how useful it is. Mm -hmm. Because I'm not saying that we need to judge poetry, but how are we to interact with poetry Mm -hmm. if we do not have any baseline? Right. If the baseline is literally somebody called it a poem. <laughs> mm-hmm, and I'm also mm-hmm. saying this because, yeah. you know, there are more people reading poetry, but a lot of people don't read poetry because they don't know how to approach it. Mm-hmm. And so if we don't give them any tools for approaching it because we're like, anything's a poem, mm-hmm. then it's the same as being like, you know, this painting is a short film, you mm-hmm. know? The reason that we have these genres, absolutely. Genre is absolutely sexist, racist homophobic transphobic um classist um every other um thing that oppresses a marginalized population and we need to be aware of that and we need to push against those boundaries but there's also this framework there that makes these genres useful and i'm also saying this as somebody who writes things that usually don't fit easily into a genre and i'm frustrated with that because it's harder to get them published so i also am frustrated with genre but i also understand the merit of it Right, because uh, you are thinking about the uh, work yes. as something uh, that could be, uh, you know, scrutinized, analyzed, mm-hmm. uh, criticized, mm-hmm. and uh, what genre it's in is sort of like a it's like a description of like the thing and what the thing is. Yeah. But it's also maybe sometimes a description of like what the author intended for it to be. Yes. <clears throat> it provides a context that provides an implied set of rules mm-hmm. for how you're going to judge it as the reader. Yes. And and that's that's and and if the 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 set of rules is is tied to the conventions of the yes. of the of the genre that yes. makes something a genre. I had I had, I had a lot of conversations uh, like this in in grad school that just went nowhere. Yeah, and and uh, I was trying to articulate what you're articulating. Yeah, that, that uh, you know. You could call anything a poem, and, and, and like you said, what are we doing? Yeah. <laughs> um, anyway, go on. So I'll, I'll, I'll end with one example of this, which is science-based. Um, and clearly, poetry is not science. But my child, Elliot, um, thinks every orbital body he sees is the moon. Mm-hmm. So he sees the moon, and he says moon. He sees... Um, jupiter and he says moon he sees saturn and he says moon he once saw earth and he said moon and we said no elliot that's the earth and he said no mama water moon water moon and here's the thing for elliot it doesn't really matter what that is Mm -hmm. he sees it as an orbital body he understands all of them to be moons and he thinks that that's beautiful and that's useful to him Mm -hmm. but once he gets older it will be useful for him to not know or to know the difference between a moon and a planet and the difference between the different planets yep. and why the earth is our planet. <laughs> okay. So two more. For now. Pl- yeah. For now. Um, I, I mean, also as a note, when he called the earth, the water moon, I like died, but um, that's besides the point. It's adorable. It's, it was very cute. 
Um, also, just like a really great analysis of something that he was seeing yeah. for being so small. Absolutely. Um, as somebody who does not have the context of what planets are. Okay, Harry Potter. Um, the conversation I was referencing actually happened 10 years ago, so mm-hmm. that it definitely was relevant at the time. Okay. Um, but that said, I know of at least three different families who are reading their kids Harry Potter right now. Uh-huh. Uh, that doesn't mean that it's not as widespread. Yeah. Um, and, you know, James is a tutor and he... he yeah. He has his own base. He has his own base, so I absolutely understand that. But um, I think that I know I know at least uh, three sets of children that are currently reading Harry Potter. Mm. Um, and actually, it's it's been difficult because they they are um, they're they're different ages, and so they get to a point where their parents are like, "We have to hold off reading the next books because of how dark they get." Yeah, and also, can I just point out? Yeah. What, where where does he say it's? Where does he bring up the movies? Oh yeah. Uh, even the HP movies are now before their time and not as interesting to them. A Harry Potter movie came out last year. Oh, right. They're still putting out Harry Potter movies. Yeah, they're just not from the... They're just not called Harry Potter. Yeah, they're from the book. They're not from the books. Okay, one more note. Vocal Fry. I don't know if you guys know this, you friends, our goslings... Uh, saying that somebody has vocal fry is He's sexist. It's very sexist. <laughs> we got him. <laughs> Pinned him to the wall. And um, there's a bunch of different um, articles you can read about this, but there's something. Um, I do have a lower pitched voice, and I do sometimes fall into vocal fry. Um, I I was an alto, so that is that is accurate. And I'm so glad other people have told us that our, both of our voices are quite soothing. Um, and I find this uh, incredibly um, comforting because I find so many of the podcast hosts that I love's voices soothing. Um, there are plenty of men who have vocal fry. Yep. Um, Ira Glass is one, mm-hmm. um, famously from This American Life. Um, women are criticized for it all the time. Men are not, um, as far as I can tell. Um, and part of the reason that women, uh, they have done... Uh, you know, they've done studies or whatever on this. Mm-hmm. Um, or at least in what I've read about it. Part of the reason that people say, like, that um, women are using vocal fry is because if I'm getting very excited and I'm talking like this, I'm shrill. And so how do I get men to respect me? I sound more like a man. And how do I sound like more like a man? Well, then I make my voice lower. Yeah, and then you get into this. And then I get into vocal fry. Yeah. Vocal fry is when you're like down here and you can hear like the a little, you can hear like a little static in my voice. It's yes. <clears throat> and so. Like I need to clear my throat. Yes, exactly. <clears throat> and so um, some women, um, this is just naturally their voices. Um, some women, it is truly a coping mechanism mm-hmm. um, for being told that they were shrill or some form of that or mm-hmm. high pitched. Mm-hmm. Um, so there's, uh, please everyone uh, look into this. Um, also just because, and James, I, I apologize for calling you out on this specifically, <laughs> though you did say it, just because, you know, this I want... what you get when you write to the smug buds. <laughs> no, we'll be nice. <laughs> the, the reason, the reason I wanted to, to specifically call it out on the episode is because, um, I want people to know about this so that if yes. other people say it, you can call them out. Yes. And, and it, and it is, uh, completely forgivable. Error. Yes, of and course. Everyone's allowed to uh, make mistakes, and uh, nobody's perfect, and you can't know about every little thing. And also, if you hate and... vocal fry, you're also allowed to hate vocal fry. Sure. I, I just think that you shouldn't 
maybe send me an email about it. And James didn't. <laughs> James didn't. But there are plenty of women who um Yeah. Who who get emails from yeah, men there, there saying was, maybe was, if you if you want to be more successful you can cut the vocal fry out. Yeah, I learned the term uh, because there was a whole segment on uh, an episode of This American Life that was about this topic. And oh, was really? A, was it recent? No, I haven't listened to This American Life. In I like know they got really years. depressing after Trump got elected, and I just like couldn't do it. I stopped before that. See, <laughs> one of our uh, Instagram comments. I don't know if we're going to talk about Instagram comments in this mailbag special. Oh, we can we can try to if we remember. One of our mail. Uh, uh, one of our Instagram comments was about like, would you do a podcast episode about podcasts? Like, I oh like yes, to hear, yes, yes, like yes. what your favorite podcasts are. Right, right, and and. We were. I was saying how we kind of complement each other in uh-huh. the ways that we're different. And one way that we're different is that you primarily like to listen to podcasts where you will learn about things. It's true. And I primarily listen to uh, the dumbest the stuff. The ones that make you feel good. Yes. The, the ones that are just funny to me. Uh, and uh, that's why I haven't listened to This American Life in a long, long time because I would rather listen to something that is funny. Yes, it's true. And uh, But back in the days when I was <laughs> listening to This American Life, there was an episode, I think it was one of their episodes where there's like three segments. Mm-hmm. And I think yeah, like yeah. the middle segment was like, uh, a bunch of our, have you heard this thing, Vocal Fry? Well, our uh, female reporters sure have. They, mm-hmm. they get emails about it all the time. And I swear, I don't think that they... <clears throat> They definitely acknowledge that men can have vocal fry. Yeah. But what they don't, I think if I remember correctly, what they don't explicitly acknowledge is the fact that I believe that in that story, Ira Glass is intentionally talking with a lot of vocal That's fry. That's very like, funny. I swear, I swear yeah. if you listen to it, you'll go like, uh, he's doing this on purpose. Yeah. <laughs> I love Ira Glass um, for reasons like that. Here's a... um. I love him because he was in the Veronica Mars movie. <laughs> so here's an email that somebody got got um, who had been on the New Yorker radio hour about vocal fry. To, to give an idea of what I mean about how I say women are criticized for this. Ms. Rosner, though I appreciate your efforts interviewing Nikki Nakayama on the New Yorker radio hour, there would have been less distraction if you were not utilizing vocal fry. <laughs> utilizing. Please consider working with a voice coach before doing radio <laughs> interviews. Thank you, David. She wrote back and said, Hi, David. Thank you for taking the time out of your day to provide me with feedback on my body and how I use it to communicate. At the moment, I do seem to be doing okay with my career without a voice coach, as you may be able to tell by just having heard me on the radio. But should the tides turn, I will be sure to send you a fruit basket. She posted this, right? Yeah. She emailed it to him. And yeah. Okay. It's very good. Yeah. I I think it's gross when people post stuff like this. On you Twitter. do, yeah. It's just just do it in private. Just, well, you know what though? I don't think she said she didn't put in his name. I don't think. Uh, well, he signed it, David. I mean, that's just a first name and for yeah. a common one. I still think it's gross. Okay. I still think it's like look. It's like I was just joking about it <laughs> when I was yelling and getting loud and saying that we yes. pinned James to the wall. Yeah, like I I, I that's making a joke uh-huh. based on <laughs> like. This trend that I've seen because I'm a literary magazine editor. Yes, yes and I yes. follow a lot of literary magazine editors yes. on Twitter. Not my Twitter, but the Litmax Twitter that I run. <laughs> and I see a lot of people post like, "Look at this idiot's cover letter." How oh no, it... I would never do that. 
Yeah. I, that, that's different. I would never, I never. Even if you leave names out of it. Yeah, even, I never. Even if no one's identity is revealed. I never posted my just, students' writing. I never posted my, um, uh, any of their emails to me. I might occasionally say something in summary, um, when I was teaching. Um, and I would not do something like that. That is supposed to be a particularly incompetence. But I think that this person being critical, the reason I think that. It's different, but it's, it's in the same genre because, and this is, probably sounds, hypocritical coming from someone who hosts a podcast called yes. the smug buds yes. and identifies as one of the titular yes. smug buds but my 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 point is that i i i think it's gross whenever i see this a, a type of thing on twitter where it's like this person is making themselves out to be really like superior to uh-huh. this other person who doesn't know better yeah but i guess that and it's usually like a screenshot i think that the the difference being that is that women are as you know and i i absolutely understand your emotional reaction to this yeah i think the difference is that women are often not believed when they say that they get this criticism Sure. And so this woman is saying, you don't believe me when I say that I'm criticized for my voice? Well, here is tangible proof. Okay, yes. But then why post the screenshot of a, an email that is just like, it, it just... Because it that's the tangible proof. No, no, no. The tangible proof is the screenshot of David's email. Oh, of her email Also back. in that tweet is a screenshot of her email back being like, why don't I send you a fruit basket? <laughs> like, is uh, okay. Well. <laughs> it's like any sympathy that I had for you reading David's email is out the window. Though, again, <laughs> you know, women are oftentimes asked to educate over and over and over again and people of color and, you know, other people. And that's very exhausting. So I, her being snarky, I can empathize with. Sure. I, yes. Yes. On a good day, I can empathize with someone being <laughs> snarky too, but it does. I mean, I'm not going to pat myself on the back for being snarky okay. or being right about something. Okay. Like it's still not the way that you're supposed to okay. react. Okay. Okay. Um. So yeah. So James, thank you very much for your email. Sincerely, I love you very much. Um. Uh. I really appreciate that you took the time to read this. Uh. Uh. To listen to the podcast to write this email. Um, and I, I hope, uh, you appreciated our feedback. Thank back. you for being a listener of the Smug Bugs. Yes. Um, uh, we're getting close to... Yeah, we should go to dinner soon, so time. let's do a speed round through okay. the rest of these. From Sarah, uh, she emails us, As a person who is referred to or implicated in almost every episode of season one, something I am enormously proud of, I would like to be referred to as a Smug Bugs devotee. Though you can see that my other options, including zealot, votary, and how do you say this one? Do you know how to say this one? Uh, habitue. I know. I don't know. It's H A B I T U E with an accent. We are probably not going to use that one since we don't know how to say it. Are quite tempting, she says. Friend of the podcast is okay too. Thanks, buds. Is that? Uh, did she attach a? Uh, yeah. <laughs> Thesaurus.com screenshot. <laughs> Admirer, buff, devotee, follower, lover, supporter, addict, adherent, aficionado, amateur, freak, groupie, hound, rooter, votary, zealot, and the H one we can't say. Habitué, I would guess. Habitué. Yeah, amateur, uh, we don't use amateur that way. No. Uh, nearly as much as uh, the other way. Yeah, it's true. Uh, this is from... Uh, some random person um it says uh uh it's by someone named dana i think it's pronounced donna no donna okay uh congratulations on completing your first season of the smug butts oh thank 
you, Thanks, Donna. Donna. I consider myself a loyal gosling, and I look forward to season two. Oh. Ooh. Hey, I think that this is all we need to do season two, Will. Oh, yeah. That's right. That's the <laughs> feedback I was looking for. Yeah. Okay, we're on for season two. <laughs> However, I'd like to issue a small complaint. <gasps> Uh-oh. In the season finale, you poo-pooed Will's girl for not playing the witness. That's you, Liz. Oh, you, yes. You poo-pooed. It is me. I believe I am that girl. Is this your girl, Will? I believe I am that girl. <laughs> I am no man. <laughs> in response, I'd like to reference Elizabeth Deanna Morris Lakes' cartridge lit essay, Green Gamer. In her essay, Elizabeth writes, The truth of the matter is, that's me, by the way, mm-hmm. I'd prefer to watch someone play video games than play them myself. Green Gamer, that's a really good title. Yes, it is. I that... think it's one of the strongest parts of that essay. <laughs> yeah, it's the title. Having such a good title. Well, and you know, Cartridge Lit is maybe one of the best literary magazines out there right now. It's the best of the net, in my opinion. <laughs> and I think that it is, you know... Only logical that they um, never nominate any authors or pieces for Best of the Net Uh um, because they already are the Best of the (laughs) Net and they're confident about it Mm -hmm. and they know it. So uh, it would be um, fraud to to nominate them for... For For Best of the Net. The quote-unquote Best of the Net. Yes. So she goes on to say, though this is not true for all games, there are dozens of games. Dozens. Mm. I've completed on my own. Well, look at you. I I completed one. I completed (laughs) Breath of the Wild recently since I wrote that essay. Uh, The Witness fits into this category for me. I prefer to witness playing Will playing the Witness and suffer (laughs) and playing the Witness and suffering through the Witness. I hope you understand. Love your gosling, Donna. Um. Completely understandable in theory. In the case of The Witness, what a terrible game to backseat game through. (laughs) Why anyone would watch, for example, a live stream of someone playing The Witness is completely beyond me. Yeah, especially especially if, you know, you can... You're just, like, telling the other person, like, how to solve the puzzle as they're playing, like, many states away. So I read this email, Mm -hmm. and... uh, Dana is my girl, as she puts it, and uh, she says in her email that she's completed dozens of games. Oh my God, Will. Okay, so <laughs> in in a moment of like real, like I'm very not proud. <laughs> I'm not proud of this moment that when I read that, I uh, I'll use the word again in this mm-hmm. podcast. I balked at it, uh-huh. and I said dozens. You've completed dozens of games? And she said, yes. And I said, all right, name 24 games you've completed. That's the minimum for dozens. And she said, I will do that later. And then she sent me an email. Oh, oh, you personally. Subject line, dozens of games. And this is the content of the email. And I wish that it's, I wish it's the list started in a way that I didn't have to pick apart, but I'm not going to rearrange it. It's okay. just, Can the, you just read the list? Just read the list first and then pick it apart. Okay. All right. Sonic. Dogs 4. Cats 3. Roller Coaster Tycoon. Zoo Tycoon. Spyro Age of Dragons. Another Spyro game. Portal 1. Portal 2. Yoshi Yarn, What Remains of Edith Finch, Flower, Abzul, with an L, The Old Man's Journey, Life is Strange 1, Life is Strange prequel, The One Where You Reveal the World by Painting on It, <laughs> Child of Light, Stardew Valley, Unravel 1, Unravel 2, Oxenfree, 
don't starve, parentheses, if you don't want to count it as completed, that's fine. <laughs> Donut County, Night in the Woods, Walking Dead, parentheses, if you don't want to count this either, that's fine. So the reason I was pointing out the way it starts yeah. is the first on the list is Sonic. Yeah. <laughs> Which, Which one? Exactly. <laughs> that is, first of all, it's it's a fast food chain. <laughs> Sonic the Hedgehog is the name of at least a couple of games that I can think of. But so- Sonic is the name of a character. Oh, my God. I think that she was referring to Sonic Adventure mm-hmm. uh, or maybe Sonic Adventure 2 Battle. Uh-huh. Uh, but uh, she doesn't know. Yeah. And so how can that count? Exactly. Well, exactly. <laughs> okay. Well, okay. Uh, that said, uh, you know... Uh, Dina, I really respect that you took the time to reference my own essay, which means you actually read it. So I'm very honored, and I love you very much. So thank you for that. Um, Thank you for listening. I think we're going to end on this note, unless you have something else to say. Let's see. This is from our friend Andrew, whose handle on Instagram is Very Public Toilets. That's one of one of them. One of them. Where he posts pictures of toilets in public spaces. That's right. And uh, this is in response to the misheard episode. It is a hilarious anecdote. Oh, yeah. Do you want to read this one? Sure. Okay. And then let's move the laptop over. All right. Uh, Andrew M. Uh, from Tucson, Arizona. Oh, my God. Right? I just realized I have no idea what his last name is. You can tell me off air. Hello, at SmugBuds. I am so moved by a recent broadcast that I must write to you with my own story. Once I thought it would be a great joke to sneak the, the star-spangled banner into a karaoke queue. Uh <laughs> By the way, I was present for this. <laughs> well, smug buds, the joke was on me. As the karaoke machine revealed the lyrics, I realized how I'd just been singing some insane bullshit sounds to the <laughs> national anthem all my life and never questioned it. I guess this is how nationalism works. I learned the song in kindergarten from a TV set. I didn't know what a rampart was then and don't know now. So why get, I believe it's a gun. So why get thoughtful about another uh, about any other weird word in this song? Spangled? <laughs> Fuck that. So like when your mom was clowning on you for Mersey Dotes, that's you again, Liz. Yes. Ep, are you noticing a trend? Still y- me. You in all of these, even when they're addressed to smug buds, <laughs> the both of us, the you is you, Liz, singular. <laughs> So, what, like, when your mom was clowning on you for Mersey Dotes, I can relate. In that karaoke room, I found myself suddenly pissed that my old teacher, the TV set, was now correcting the lyrics it taught me in <laughs> kindergarten. Uh, the TV's come to visit me. That's not part of it. Uh, my misheard lyrics are way too numerous to list here, but I would be glad to sing you my version of the national anthem next time we hang out. Uh, try when you're on the podcast. Uh, until then, be well and keep up the good work. Love, Andrew. Oh, well, thank you for signing it. Love, Andrew. That's very nice. Thank you, Andrew. Um, better than love, Simon. Um, well. What? That's the name of a movie. (laughs) I know. Um, so I think we're going to wrap this up because, um, Will and I have to go eat dinner. Yeah, we're being met here. Isn't that nice? Oh, that is so nice. Yeah. That means I have time to, like, uh, put my face on. 
Yeah, me too. <laughs> I have time to put your face on <laughs> as well. And that's how the smug buds got real dark. <laughs> yeah, I'm trying to think, you know, I was thinking when we did this episode, I was going to like tie up some loose ends. Like the nocebo effect was like something that like, yeah. oh yeah, I want it. Oh, so like. So when we were live streaming The Witness, you brought yeah. up Myst. Yes. And how I never talked about Myst, yes. which is an old video game I never played, but you did. And it's very influential on The Witness. Yes. We don't need to talk any more about that. I will say Kenny was straight up going to buy it for you. Myst? Yeah. Oh, that's why you asked about Steam. <laughs> yeah. Oh, okay. That's that's nice. No, I... He was like, we just need to send it to him now. He was. <laughs> he said, Will's never played Myst. I was like, no. He's like... Even now, I was like, "What is? What else could no mean?" <laughs> what time is it? You mean now? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> uh, the the other thing I, I I was thinking of bringing up was um, I I don't remember what episode this was, but we talked a little bit about um, I I said that that Jenny Slate playing her character on the the Netflix cartoon Big Mouth was was kind of like uh, it was on the abortion episode. <laughs> it was kind of like blackface. Yeah. And um, and I also talked about uh, uh, BoJack Horseman does yes. a similar thing uh, with Alison Brie playing yes. a Vietnamese woman. Diane Nguyen. Um, Nguyen. Could have easily uh, brought this up on the Rick and Morty episode as well. Oh, who on the Rick and Morty episode? They sort of... Oh, so Okay, so we talked about the to- toxic masculinity yes. rampant or uh, allegedly rampant, seemingly apparently rampant yes. in the Rick and Morty fan base. Um uh, part of the way that that pre- pre- presented itself was it was publicized that when they um, hired new writers for season three, they intentionally wanted to bring more women into the oh. writer's room. Okay, good. Some fans thought that's going to ruin my favorite show. Yes. Because women, I only want women, dicks. women are stupid. Dicks, dicks, dicks. For cis men. Right. Uh, that's right. And uh, so one of the women... Uh, Jessica Gao, I think is her name, mm. is credited as writing the uh, famous Pickle Rick episode yes. of season three. Uh-huh. Um, and uh, really just just an episode that is just, I mean, sort of you've the, seen it. the height of the absurdity. Yeah, since yes. since recording the, uh, the podcast, I have watched season three because it so, is on Hulu now. <laughs> so I say that she was credited as writing it because my understanding is that, you know, TV shows have writers' rooms and everyone yes. collaborates. Yes. But someone has to get the writing credit. And yes. so someone has to, you know, take everyone's ideas and consolidate them mm-hmm. into a script. And they're the credited writer, mm-hmm. even though tons of people might have worked on it. So she's the credited writer. And so she, uh, there's a, uh, the, 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 the B plot in the Pickle Rick episode. Yes. Is that the family is going to therapy. Yes. So there's a therapist character. Mm-hmm. And so uh, Jessica Gao was writing this part and uh, this script. And so she named, she had the responsibility of naming the therapist character. Right. And so she named her Dr. Wong. Mm -hmm. And she did that intentionally, Uh thinking I should uh, be, I will be creating work for an uh, An an Asian Asian American actor uh, by naming it this character Dr. Wong. Right. Well, after that happened, but before they cast the part, yes, they got a phone call that said Susan Sarandon is a fan, right, and would love to be on your show, right, yes. And the therapist was the only, well, it was the meatiest role, yeah. Like the 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 therapist basically like goes, you know, uh, neck. And, what's the phrase? Goes 
not face to face, not neck and neck, but toe to toe. Oh, goes the the, the therapist really like goes toe to toe with Rick, and it's yeah. like one of the only people in the series to Who like, does ever that. do yeah. that, and and successfully, I would right? Argue. Yeah, so like put him in his place, and uh, so uh, they never change the name of the character, uh, and so Susan Sarandon, a white woman, yes. plays Doctor Wong, the therapist on Rick. Right, and Morty, I so, see that. Yeah, uh, uh, not dissimilar to. Uh, Alison Brie on um, yeah. BoJack Horseman. Yeah, and I have. I mean, I think we're. I think we're going to just have a BoJack episode at some point. We should, because um, I um, love that show. It's a very special um, show. But I think that something that um, I think that uh, whoever the showrunner is for that show, Raphael Bob Waxberg. Yes, he um, heard the criticism about oh, yeah. Diane, and I think actually responded to it pretty well. Yeah, and 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 not shallowly. And yes, not, not shallowly. Not briefly. Like yes. he's done multiple interviews where he's talked about it very honestly and vulnerably, mm-hmm. and uh, handled it really well. I think. I think so too, um, and which is not to say that he never should have made that mistake. Because right, it's, it's still a mistake. Sixteen when right, it came out, yeah. but um, so yeah, I think I think that part, but part of what I want to talk about um, in that episode, and then also we'll talk about in our brand new episode, is like you know what can be done what can people do to actually for uh earn forgiveness or Mm -hmm. or or move to a place where they have actively shown that they are trying to do something like what is enough for us right um and i think that's going to vary depending on the situation and everything but um yeah last thing before we go yes new policy yes because in the first season you teased me a little bit for being secretive uh-huh. about what the topics of each episode okay, yeah. would be. Yes. So new policy, I want to tease uh-huh. uh, what's coming in season two. Okay. So season two, uh, probably going to start in uh, early June. Mm-hmm. And uh, my own topics, uh, the way that I'm approaching this. Yes. <clears throat> I'm not going to tell you exactly what my topics are, but I'm going to tell you my my philosophy. Sure, yeah. Is I, I'm thinking of a clip that I've seen many times of George Lucas uh-huh. describing uh, writing the uh, prequel trilogy uh-huh. and saying that uh, you know uh, the prequel trilogy uh, relative to the original Star Wars trilogy, he says, uh, you know, it's kind of like poetry, like they rhyme. <laughs> So that's what I want my episodes in season two to yeah. be. So if my first episode of season one was the MCU phase one, not surprisingly, we're going to go back to that well yes. early in season two. Mm-hmm. Following that uh, tabletop games, it has to it has to rhyme with tabletop games. So it'll be something that's more of an activity and not a TV show or a movie or a video game. Right. Um, then that was followed by uh, the Oscars, yes. uh, which unfortunately only come around once a year. Yes. So I can't cover the next Oscars, but we will go back to the well of films. Uh-huh. You're not going to do the VMAs as a... I'm kidding. No, I'll consider it. <laughs> uh, Oscars was followed up by Rick and Morty, and mm-hmm. the uh, episode that rhymes with Rick and Morty is really going to rhyme with Rick and Morty. <laughs> I promise. <laughs> And then uh, the finale was, of course, The Witness. And, and so uh, it'll rhyme with The Witness because it'll be video game related. Yes. And and I'll I'll tease a little bit, too. We're also going to have, hopefully, a, a guest bud, at least one. We're, yeah. 
Possibly. Um, and we also are going to do some joint episodes because we yes. found a couple of topics that we both have some things to say on. Yes, um, and one of the episodes that I was, one of the rhyming episodes yes. I was just referencing might be a joint episode yes. rather than a me, me, me episode. And I, um, you know, I am going to be talking about uh, children again. Yep. I'm going to be talking about, um, uh, I think I've just said enough times now that I'm going to be talking about brand new, so I'll just say that. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. <laughs> I've been like, I've been like in my mind at night, just like going through this argument over and over yeah. again. Um, and I'm also going to be, you know, getting into some science-y stuff again. Yeah. So there and we go. Pseudoscience And perhaps. pseudoscience maybe a little bit. Some debunking. Some debunking. So uh, in the coming months, uh, prepare yourselves for The Smug Buds Season 2, yes. colon, more of the same. But in different ways and probably better. It's like poetry. They rhyme. <laughs> Bye, our goslings. We love you. Thanks for listening. Love you, Liz. Love you, Will. Will is on Twitter and Letterboxd at youngestofone, and his website is williamhoffacker.com. You can find Liz at exclamate on Instagram, at exclamate underscore on Twitter, or on her website, elizabethdeannamorrislakes.com. Our website is smugbuds.com, and the podcast is at smugbuds on Twitter and Instagram.